sun has set. Jesus and his disciples have retired to the upper room of a common house in Jerusalem. They are tired, but they're well fed. And this will be the very last time that these friends will all be together before Jesus is accused, he's tried, and he's crucified. And it's here in this poorly lit, borrowed room in first century Palestine that Jesus both teaches and he demonstrates the greatest lesson on love. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to John, which you'll find in the New Testament. Testament. And we're going to be looking at chapter 13, starting at verse 1. And it reads like this. It says, Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour had come to depart out of this world to the Father, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. During supper, when the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he had come from God and was going back to God, rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist. Then he poured water into a basin and he began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with a towel that was wrapped around him. Jump now to verse 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example so that you should also do just as I have done to you. Now, I know some of you are probably a little freaked out. You're like, is he going to make us start washing one another's feet at the end of this? And I promise you guys, that's not what we're going to do. So here we are. We're in the upper room with Jesus and his 12 disciples and notice how John, the writer here, sets up this scene in verse one through three. He wants us, the readers, to fully understand the timing of these events, right? John tells us that Jesus was, he was fully aware that he was about to be crucified, that he was about to leave the world to be with the Father, that Judas was already thinking up ways to betray him, and that the Father had given him all authority to finish out his earthly ministries. And with all of these events taking place, what does John tell us that Jesus does next? He puts on an apron and he washes the dirty, filthy feet of his 12 closest friends. In verse four through five, John says that, right? He says, he rose up from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel tied around his waist. And then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. Now, why does Jesus do this? Was this really the top priority in his life at the moment? I mean, he's about to be crucified, right? Was this really all a part of his grand plan for being sent to earth to save the world? 
Now, this picture that we are given of Jesus washing the feet is of not just his closest friends, you guys, but notice this, but also of one who would go on to betray him, of one who would go on to deny him, and of one who would go on to doubt him. This is the perfect picture that Jesus gives us of what it means to love one another. Now, if you weren't here the last um, couple weeks, Ryan spoke last week and we had Steve speaking the last week um, before that, or if you haven't got a chance to catch up on um, the podcast, we're in a series right now called What Drives Us. And we're simply looking at the values of ecclesia. And we think that these transcend and go far beyond ecclesia. And these are not things that we just invented, but we think that these are things that... um, are really important for us to understand because we all have values, whether we acknowledge them or not. We all operate from this, a certain place. Um, So we're gonna get to the heart of some of our values here at Ecclesia. Um, If you guys have ever read any of Jesus's teachings, you know that he loved to do um, this thing when he taught where he would essentially take the the very familiar thing, he would take the law or um, even the common cultural stories of the time, and he would essentially double down on them, right? He would take the impossible and he would go far beyond that and make it even seemingly more possible. Listen to just a few of these examples from Jesus Matthew 5, verse 21, this is Jesus speaking, and he says, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be liable to judgment. Now, this, of course, is Jesus. He's quoting one of the the 10 commandments of the Torah. But he goes on to say, but to you that everyone, but I say to you, everyone who is angry with his brother, he will be liable to judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council, and whoever says you fool will be liable to to the hell of fire. Jesus, Matthew 5, verse 27, you have heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Jesus, Matthew 20 says that the last is first and the first, or the, let me say that again, the last is first and the least is greatest. Jesus, Luke 9, 24, whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake, he will save it. Now, when people heard Jesus speaking this way, they really did not know how to respond to him because this wasn't just a whole new way of of viewing the world, but it was a new way of loving others that completely challenged the status quo of the time. So when Jesus, the the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, gets down on his knees, on his knees to wash the feet of his closest friends, what this picture does is it actually redefines the nature of relationships and what it means to love one another, both for the people then and for us today. Now, if you've read any of the New Testament, you know that this was not just some single isolated event that took place during the Last Supper. This demonstration of loving others that Jesus displayed here is seen all over his life and all over his ministry. And there's a reason that John and the other writers of the gospels highlight all of these events. And you guys, it's to, they do this because they're trying to encourage us to do the same, to model this, to challenge us, to think about how it is that we love those around us, to love one another in what we might call this upside down kingdom way, where we are so focused on lifting others up 
that we don't care that our status and our importance actually starts to fade away into the background. Listen again to Jesus' words in verse 15. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. You guys, that's pretty clear, right? That we're supposed to respond to this. Now, let's just for a moment take a step back from this event. And before we move on, I want us to just to um, look at what makes biblical love or the love of God unique. And let's just for a moment think about the way that the world loves and that the world encourages us. And we'll call this secular love or cultural love or worldly love, okay? We can call it whatever. Now at the heart of it, the difference between these two is actually pretty simple because it comes down to what each of these loves are anchored in, right? What these loves are rooted in. Secular love or the way that culture loves is simply not anchored in the cross or the hope that is tied to it, right? I don't think anyone would argue with that. But here's just a way that I like to think about this that is helpful. Now, if you've ever spent any time at all on a boat, you most likely know what it's like to look up and suddenly realize that you've drifted off course, right? To realize that you ended up somewhere you did not plan on being. Well, you guys, the same is true when it comes to love that is outside of the love of God. The world's opinions and cultural ideas, that cultural ideas, they are constantly shifting. They're constantly changing We have these social trends that come and go and they act a lot like waves. They are the opposite of the anchor that keeps you rooted. Waves are fluid, they are ever-changing. They fall out of fashion, right? They stop, these things, they stop trending and what was popular yesterday is no longer popular today. In other words, this type of love is not sustainable. It isn't something that we can depend on. Secular love, it, it looks inwardly right? My needs, my well-being, the most important thing is everything that's happening in my life. And what happens when we get away from the Lord's definition of love is that we actually end up not just validating these things in our own lives and validating our own sin, but then we actually start to validate sin in other people's lives too, And one of the most obvious ways that we do this is through social media, right? And what we don't realize is that when we do this, when we start validating other people's, we'll call them disordered desires, we do it in a way that causes them to turn more and more in on themselves because we're just continuing to validate this sin in their life. And we can become so wrapped up in ourselves by receiving that validation from others that we then begin to to isolate ourselves from everyone to the point where we become completely self-reliant, become completely self-dependent. And I would argue that this is exactly what the enemy is trying to lure all of us into. Complete self-dependency. This idea that I don't actually need anyone I can define my own reality and if someone isn't validating my own version of what I think love is, I can just simply defriend them, right? Whether that's social media, real life, I just cut those people out of my life. But you guys, this is not the way that God designed us to live and this is not the model for love that scripture presents to us. 
Now, if you would, let's look again at our chapter, John 13. But now I want us to actually jump ahead a bit to what Jesus says in verse 34. And he says this, he says, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. Now, for most of us, when we, we read this text, we tend to jump right to the part that says we're to love one another, right? Okay, Jesus, I understand. We're supposed to love one another. And we disregard the rest of this verse. But what Jesus is saying here, you guys, is so important. He says, a new commandment I give to you. You guys, what kind of person gives commands? Shout it out. What kind of person gives commands? Yeah. Someone in charge, right? Someone with some sort of authority. Now, here's what Jesus is saying. You guys, if, if you call yourself a Christian, if you call yourself a follower of Jesus, you are now under authority. That's such a scary word, even saying it on the mic like this. You're now under authority. Or to say it another way, you are no longer your own. 1 Corinthians 6.19, it says, your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. And then it says this, it says, you are not your own. You were bought with a price. You're bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. You guys, if we were not, if we are not our own, then this means that we no longer get to call the shots, right? It's that simple. We don't get to pick and choose who it is that comes into our orbit that we're gonna decide to love. Jesus says, that's not how it works anymore. You are not your own. I am calling you to something higher. Remember, Jesus is redefining what it means for his followers to love others. He's raising the bar. And unlike the way that, that secular love is so concerned and consumed with me and I and other people validating what I am doing, if you are a follower of Jesus, then your will is now defined by the will of God. Whatever he wants to do in your life, what he wills here in verse 34 is that we are to love one another, plain and simple. And notice, you guys, how carefully Jesus chooses his words here. Because what does he not say? He doesn't say, hey, you guys, you followers of me, I would appreciate it if you would, you know, you would make an effort and, and try to love all the people that I send your way, right? He's not making a suggestion to us. This is a commandment from the mouth of God that we are to love one another as he has so loved us. And what was the first way that Jesus demonstrated his love for us? You guys, he set aside his status. He set aside his rank. And he came to earth to become a servant. He humbled himself completely. Fully man, fully God, he died for us. The most humble act that anyone could perform. Jesus did that for us to set an example. And this is what he was demonstrating and revealing to us by giving us this picture, this simple picture of washing 
the feet of his 12 closest friends. We cannot love our neighbor well, you guys, if we aren't willing to forfeit our status, to forfeit our positions of power that we may have found ourselves in. We cannot call ourselves Christians and deny our neighbor. Listen to what it says in 1 Peter 5.5. 5. It says, likewise, you who are younger, be subject to the elders. Clothe yourselves, all of you, with humility towards one another. For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Now, you guys may be asking yourself, well, who even is my neighbor, right? And I think now more than ever, it is so hard because our world looks so different than it ever has. But you guys, your neighbor is anyone beside you, in front of you, behind you, or around you, okay? That's who God has called you to love. Anyone that you come in contact with on any given day, Jesus said that they were worthy for me to come to earth and die. Even just for them, I would have done it. He would have done it just for the one. A few months ago, I had the opportunity to meet um, and have several conversations with, with some of my heroes. Um, I call them just heroes in the kingdom. And if I shared their names, you guys, I'm sure, would probably know a few of them. Um, but more than just them being famous, um, what I was so moved by, you guys, was their total willingness to meet me exactly where I was, to see me for who I was in my complete brokenness, in my hurting. They were willing to forfeit any status, any name recognition that they had and look me in the eye and say, I see you and I love you regardless. And I believe that they did this because they were modeling Jesus' example here in John 13. They understood, you guys, what Jesus was commanding and they allowed him and his will to be done through their lives. Now, of all the ways that Jesus could have modeled love for us, you guys, why did he use the washing of feet to explain this commandment to us? Why did he choose this? Now, there's something I think we need to understand and a little bit of context would help with that. Now, this was first century Palestine that we're talking about. So if you're going to get anywhere at this time, it wasn't gonna be by car, it wasn't gonna be by bus, it might have been by horse if you had money, but most likely you're gonna be traveling a long way to get anywhere and you're most likely not rich enough to have any sort of sandals on your feet. And so when people would get to where they going, where they were going, they would enter into their homes or these other places. And the first thing that they would do was wash their feet. And it became this very ritualistic, very practical thing that people did. And so what Jesus did when he took this very practical, ordinary daily practice was he took this ordinary thing and he made it extraordinary. He set aside his status. He set aside his position as their rabbi and teacher, and he willingly served them in the most practical, most mundane way. And he calls you and I to do the same. And he told us that this is going to be 
what sets us apart from the rest of culture and from the rest of the world. It's not going to be some flashy Christian badge that we all wear when we start following Jesus. And I think a lot of people, um, a lot of us, we miss this. We confuse commonality with Christ-likeness, you know? We find comfort and validation in looking and sounding like the rest of the world. And then we get stuck because there's a part of us that knows we're supposed to be set aside, that knows we're supposed to be set apart because God has called us this way. But we aren't willing to surrender the parts of our lives that, are still, that we're still clinging to that provide us with this sense of validation, the sense of comfort. But the only way, you guys, that we will ever be set, afar, set apart from the world is by doing what Jesus did, by loving sacrificially, by loving others, even when it's not convenient. Jesus's ministry was full of inconvenient people, you guys. People who were stealing his attention daily and nothing appeared more inconvenient during Jesus' ministry than his meeting with a man named Zacchaeus. Now, we all have those relationships in our lives, don't we? Where those people that we may not speak to very often seem to call us or text us at just the wrong time and totally throw off our schedule that totally inconvenience you. Do you guys have those people in your life? No? Okay. But this is what I think about when I think about Zacchaeus. Now, Zacchaeus was a tax collector during Jesus' day. And in first century Palestine, you guys, tax collectors, tax collectors were taking advantage of Jewish people. Um, they were always after their own financial gain, and they were hated by most. But in Luke 19, we see Jesus willingly meet Zacchaeus right where he is regardless of the, the inconvenience that he showed him and Jesus confronts him in such, a, in such a loving way that Zacchaeus actually has nothing he can do except respond to Jesus's love. And he does this by paying back everyone that he ever wronged or cheated. You guys, when, when you and when I extend this kind of love to others, this love that isn't bothered by inconvenience or concerned with social status. It causes people to respond, to stop and think about it because they're not used to this, right? It throws people off. And I believe that it actually unlocks something in the hearts of those that we're trying to reach. When we love people like Jesus, it it draws us into situations and places that may not be the most convenient, that aren't always easy, but it challenges others to see something different in us, right? And the reality is that when we love like this, what it is that they're seeing, I believe that it's seeing Jesus. They're seeing Jesus through us. So how do we go about accessing this kind of love? John fifteen ten. Jesus says, if you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, 
just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. You guys, this right here is the key to unlocking this type of love. Just as Jesus abides in the love of the Father, he calls us to abide in his love. And the result of this is what we'll call abiding power. Power that can only come from Christ working through us. It's the kind of abiding power and love that I saw in the eyes of those heroes last summer. In verse five, Jesus even says, apart from me, you can do nothing. You guys, if we desire to be set apart from the rest of the world, we have to start with a foundation. We have to remain deeply rooted and steeped in the love of God and his word because that is where that abiding power to love like Jesus is going to come from. It's going to come from an overflow of being in Jesus' dwelling, in his presence daily. It's gonna turn into this abiding power that we could not have accessed any other way. In the book of Luke, chapter eight, we read about a woman who interrupts Jesus' ministry. Jesus is, he's on his way to, to heal a synagogue ruler's daughter who is dying. And as he is on his way, this woman who we're told had been bleeding for 12 years seizes the opportunity to receive healing from Jesus by simply touching the edge of his cloak. And when she does, we're told in verse 44 that immediately her bleeding stopped but listen to what it says in this next verse. Verse 45, Jesus asks, who touched me? When they all denied it, Peter said, master, the people are crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out of me. You guys, because of who Jesus is and his given and his divinity, it's so easy to read about these encounters that Jesus has with people and believe that he exercised his power effortlessly, right? He's a miracle worker. It's just what he does, right? He's not exhausted after he goes and spends the day healing people, right? That's, that's us, you know, when we're, by the end of the day, we're exhausted, but this is not who Jesus is. We have to remember that although Jesus was fully God, he was also fully man, the theologian R.C. Sproul says this, in the incarnation, the human nature of Christ is empowered by the Holy Spirit. When Christ exercises this power, there is a draining of it from his own humanity. We cannot think the ministry exercised by our Lord was done without great cost to him. Jesus would spend time alone with God, abiding in the Father, because he was being emptied constantly. He was constantly pouring out. And just as much as he was pouring out, he needed the Father to pour right back into him. And the way that he was going to do this was by abiding. That Jesus would become fatigued by the demands of his ministry is obvious. And by him claiming to have felt power actually leaving him points to this fact, you guys. Yes, he was fully God, but he was fully man. 
It cost him something. Every time he healed, every time he served, every time he was inconvenienced by someone, it cost Jesus something. So why would we think, think that it would be any different for any one of us? I recently read a story about um, Mother Teresa and in what they call an untouchable who had lived beyond any sort of human care in the streets, wherever they could find a place to rest. And Mother Teresa heard about this untouchable and dying person, and she had them brought into her shelter where she cleaned them up and took care of them. And this person's dying words were actually recorded. They said, I have had to live my life like an animal, but, animal, but now I can die like a human being. You guys, there was nothing convenient about this person coming to Mother Teresa. There was nothing easy about this situation. It's not like she lived in this ornate mansion with all of these rooms. You guys, she lived in a shelter and she welcomed in this untouchable. And yet she was willing to put on the heart of a servant and sacrificially love this person like Jesus. It's really easy, you guys, to, to dislike people from a distance, right? If we spend all of our time on social media or online or texting even, it's so easy to hide behind a text. But it's so easy to dislike people from a distance, to keep ourselves so closed off and isolated from others that we actually start to, to dehumanize each other, Right? but God is calling us back to one another to serve one another by drawing from the abundance of himself. We can only love others, you guys, for so long if we ourselves are not rooted in Christ, constantly abiding in his word, going to him saying, Father, I don't have the strength, but I want your will be done. So pour whatever you can into my life that I may continue to serve you that I may continue to pour out myself for your sake and for your kingdom. If we are not drawing from the wellspring that is his word, you guys, we will not be filled. When we recognize and, and understand the sacrifice that was made for us, the cost of Jesus going to the cross and dying for us and suffering so much for us so that we wouldn't have to suffer or pay the penalty for our sin that we so deserved. Only then will we be able to truly love our neighbor well.